Sunday, December 12, 2021. We are aspiring to be Canada's Baseball History and Nostalgia Podcast. I'm Brent Cardi. Glad to have you aboard. Dave Glassford will do his Chris Collinsworth audio slide in just a minute. <laughs> I'm going to start with... Uh, I want to thank uh, everybody who listened to the 1990 Blue Jays uh, deep dive uh, that we did last week. Uh, a lot of great feedback, a lot of great, good to see people playing and listening to it. Um, did you get any feedback on the 90 episode last week for anybody who listened in your circle? Yeah, I think they uh, like my audio. Yeah, so. the audio is, is awesome. Awesome. I love it. I, I don't sound like an abandoned phone booth out in Kenora anymore. <laughs> Yep, ain't that the truth? Um, no, it was a lot of fun. 90 was an interesting season, uh, a lot of firsts for the club. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and please have a listen uh, because it was pretty good. It was a fun time. Yeah, it was. Baseball. Uh, we'll talk about the Tip O'Neill Award and we're going to stir, stir the pot up a bit, Dave, because Vladdy Guerrero wins it first time. Uh, of course, for those of you who don't know, Tip O'Neill Award was given by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame to the best Canadian player uh, during the season. Uh, so Vladdy wins it. Uh, he, uh, we talked about uh, the list of candidates a few years ago. And I'm going to start because I don't have a problem with Vladdy winning it. You know, he was great. He was gracious. Um, but my concern is we're taking away from a guy, uh, for players that would represent Canada, at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, you know, if Major League Baseball players would go to the Olympics, guys like Jordan Romano, Cal Quantrill, even Freddie Freeman, who has a dual citizenship, would represent Canada. Look, Vladdy's never going to represent Canada at an official event. At least Vladdy acknowledges he was born in Montreal, and I have no problem with him winning the award. But that being said, back in the day, there was a hockey player that I don't know if everybody's familiar with, by the name of Brett Hall, who was Canadian. And then he started representing USA and people were pissed. They felt betrayed about this. In your opinion, why are we okay with Laddie being uh, representing to or his country? And why weren't people uh, happy about Brett Hall uh, having dual citizenship representing the United States? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great point. Um... It's kind of, it is very similar situations. Um, another thing about Brett Hall is he lived uh, most of his uh, teenage life in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a little weird that he, he did that. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, can, I can understand both sides of the argument. Um, for this award, uh, I'm okay with Vlad winning it. You know, um, it is Canadian-born player. He's Canadian-born, so I'm okay with him winning it. I see your point, but uh, I, I I don't have any problem with the dual citizenship team. If you got dual citizenship, you should be able to represent uh, either or. I really know don't. Freddie Freeman, when he signs with the Blue Jays, when the strikes over, uh, gets the same consideration that Vlad does. Uh, yeah. You know, Freddie could probably hit 50 home runs playing in the AL East. Yeah. Um, St. Thomas, Ontario was very happy when uh, they heard that Jack Graney uh, finally gets inducted into the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, gets the Ford C. Frick Award. How big is that to have a Canadian um, Canadian announcer, former player, former umpire, get, the, for, get into Cooperstown and receive this award? Yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, he was a broadcaster for, I think, almost 30 years for the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. It was a pretty amazing run. And, yeah, like you said, played. Um, it was the first guy to face Babe Ruth. That's right. Yeah, so he's, he had quite a career, and he did some umping. It's pretty amazing that he could do all three. Yeah, quite a talented guy. It was, it was definitely well-deserved. And, yeah, it's very big to have a Canadian back on the uh, in the hall for that. It's it's pretty amazing. If, if you look, if you read out through his career, there's a couple of other, uh, I think he was like the first player to uh, actually wear numbers on his jersey. I think I read. So it, it, you got to read his bio. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it's kind of like the Forrest Gump of, uh, if you know what I mean. It, yeah. Just like of uh, baseball people. It, it, it was a, it's a pretty amazing career. 
Speaking of amazing careers, something we I overlooked last week was uh, the Jack Greeny Award was actually given out by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame to uh, John Lott. Uh, John, who uh, co-wrote this book right here that only you and I can see, uh, Great Expectations, with Shai Davidi. Um, yep. And John writes for The Athletic, been through a lot in his life, hell of a baseball writer. Uh, he wins the 2022 award. Is it 2022 or 2021? 2021, I think. Okay, close enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but hey, John's well deserving. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it does. He again, he's had quite like like uh, Granny. He's had quite a career. Um, he's actually born in the states, I think Pennsylvania, and he came over to cover just to cover the Jays and uh, taught a lot at uh, Centennial College journalism. That's right. yeah. And uh, yeah, he just he started writing, I think, for the National Post and. He's more of on the human interest side of baseball as most of his articles. Um, he had a good one about uh, Accardo and his uh, Jeremy Accardo, former Jay, and his uh, daughter's battle with cancer. So he, he, he a lot of times um, focuses on the human nature side of baseball, of the players. And uh, yeah, quite an interesting guy, good writer. And yeah, like I said, uh, help, like you said, uh, help Davidi with uh, the Great Expectations book. Um, about the 2013 Blue Jays, very well done. So, yeah, you quite a talented writer, well deserved. Had, he's had quite a career writing for the National Post and uh, the Athletic, I think. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Athletic. Yep. No, congratulations to uh, John. That's great. And I uh, just want to talk to everybody about our schedule over the next couple of weeks because we're coming up to the holiday season. So next week, Dave, you get the week off. Congratulations. Um, nice. And then uh, we're going to have Shad of Edie, uh on to talk about the 2013 Toronto Blue Jays. And then uh, the week after that, we'll talk about, try to do a, a year in review, I think. And then uh, we'll talk about our five favorite baseball managers. And then January 2nd, we'll talk about our five favorite broadcasters who have broadcast for Canadian teams. And uh, then we'll get back at it with the 93 World Series uh, the week after that. So that's where we're, we're headed and uh, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, I think we should get into the 1992 World Series. Dave, what do you say? Let's do it. So Baseball in Canada Series, of course, we go back to the 1992 World Series. And first and foremost, want to thank the following folks for their work. Baseball reference, you guys continue to ensure everyone has access to all the baseball information for crazy baseball fans like us. Thank you very much. Keep doing what you're doing. Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet wrote a great article about the World Series time capsule. I'll include the link in the show notes. Evan Rosser as well uh, wrote a great piece for Sportsnet. Uh, also, I will link to the notes. Thank you to those guys. Uh, also, used, uh, we're going to read a passage from Tom Cheek's Road to Glory book in Shai Davidi's The Big 50. Uh, was used in our research as well. The Oakland Athletics were a pain in the ass for the Toronto Blue Jays. They knocked them out of the 1989 ALCS. They won the went to the World Series in 1990. The A's did not get back to the ALCS in 91, but they're back in 92 against the Blue Jays. Um, this Oakland team, Dave, reminds me of the Dodgers of the past few seasons. And we talked about Bob Welch and Dave Stewart last week. What else made them continue to be a World Series contender? Well, for uh, yeah, it starts with the manager, Tony La Russa. Um, a lot of people said this was his best job yet in 1992 because they had a lot of injuries. Um, they finished ni 96 wins, same as the Jays. So a lot of people said this was his best uh, job yet in 92, and that's saying something because he made it to three straight World Series, 80, 88, 89, 90. And um, obviously, Dennis Eckersley, MVP, Cy Young, 51 saves, 7 and 1, 191 ERA. So uh, those were the two big things. And it was, it, they had a pretty good lineup. You know, I'm looking at the middle of their lineup. It was Sierra, Baines, McGuire, Terry Steinbeck as their catcher. So it was a, it was a solid ball club, all in all. You know, one of the interesting things that I read about, um, was people were really nervous because they, you know, the Jays just could not get it done in the ALCS in previous years, right? 89, 85, 87. Uh, they didn't even make it to the playoffs. How nervous did you think Jays fans were for this series? I think Jays fans were 
nervous for the series, but a little relieved because I think um, a good mil- during the season, uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewers were on their tails um, pretty much um, the whole year. And actually, one of the quotes was, uh, I think it was Daryl Hamilton of the Brewers was saying, we hope Toronto pulls the Toronto, which means like an 87 chokes near the end and doesn't actually make the playoffs. So I think there was a little relief going in. And um, actually, Vegas had them two to three favorites, the Jays. So I think there was a bit of relief that they made it into the playoffs. And uh, there was probably some nervousness, but I think the, the feeling was, was this was a different Jays team, I, I, I truly believe. So speaking of the different Jays team, the Blue Jays retooled and geared up for this one. For the season, in the offseason, they brought in legendary starter Jack Morris, legendary designated hitter Dave Winfield, and they traded a future Hall of Fame second baseman in August for David Cohn. After seven years of not making it to the World Series, did you think Pat Gillick was on the hot seat? I wouldn't say he was on the hot seat, Brent, but I think the, um, the sentiment around the club was this was, this was the year, right? They went, got, like you said, Morris, Winfield, and then the thing was, was um, the feeling was that they would probably lose both Jimmy Key and Joe Carter to free agency the next year. Right. So the thinking was the windows here, this is the season um, just to get it done. So I don't think he necessarily thought his job was on the line, but he knew that if he was going to win a World Series with the Jays, 92 was probably his best bet. In game one of the ALCS, Dave Stewart would take the lead into the top of the eighth. Jeff Russell would blow the save, but Harold Baines, friggin' Harold Baines, put the A's over the top of the home run in the ninth off of Morris. Eckersley gets the save in game one. Oakland wins game one on the road. So Dave Stewart, we talked about last week, um, he gets himself another AS- ALCS victory here. What was it about Stewart in the ALCS? I don't know. It was. I think he ended up eight zero or something. Yeah. It was. It was just his time. I, I don't know if it was. Um, I don't know if he's just he focuses more or something. But I don't know. It was just his time. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it, it was like amazing stretch. Oh, it definitely was. Why did it feel like Harold Baines? You know, no matter where he played, Texas, Oakland, uh, Chicago, Baltimore, hit seven hundred against the Jays. Yeah, I think he ended up 440 in this series. Um, yeah, he just he just loved the Jays pitching. I don't know. And um, you know, this had this game had its own controversy um for Cito letting Morris come back out for the ninth and not yeah. going to his bullpen. And uh yeah, and it just a lot of people questioned it, but um and it raised the question who decides when Morris goes out, Morris or Cito? So that may so it, it it was a questionable decision for sure. Morris would went on to say that they beat me. Um, they beat me. He tried his best, but they beat yeah. me. Game two, the Jays even it up. Kelly Gruber was the offensive star, and David Cohn went eight strong innings in the Terminator. Tom Hankey picks up the save. How huge was David Cohn's contribution in the playoffs? Yeah, it was big. He gave him some solid. He gave him a bunch of solid starts. Um, Jimmy Key didn't have his best year. I think he was thirteen and thirteen. Mm-hmm. So basically, adding Cone, um, it uh, made Key be. It took Key to the bullpen. So um, for this series, anyway. So I think it was Key just because. Um, Jimmy Key uh, just didn't have his best year. So I think it just added another weapon into their rotation. And I think that's what they needed to get over the hump. Kelly Gruber had a solid game here. Didn't have a great playoffs, but are you surprised that he made it to the 92 Jays? Yeah, he was, uh, he had a rough year. Um, the fans got on him. Um, he had a lot of injuries. Um, a lot of fans used to chant, um, hey, Gruber, how's the hangnail? <laughs> because he was out of the lineup a lot. Um, I, his time was running thin. It was, if they didn't trade him during the 92 season, he was going after. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised he made it to the end of the year. But uh, 
you know, it worked out. So game three is played in Oakland, and Jeff Russell has another tough outing for the Athletics. Juan Guzman gets the win in that one, and Candy Maldonado and Roberto Alomar had home runs. How underrated was Candy Maldonado when it comes to Blue Jays history? Yeah, definitely Blue Jays. He was a key guy. He extended the lineup. Um, he wasn't batting all that well um, during the uh, early part of the season, and everyone was getting on Cito like, why do you keep running him out there, wasting your corner outfield spot and sixth person in the order with Candy Maldonado? But, you know, give Cito credit and what Cito's known for. Um, he sticks with his veterans, and, uh, you know, he ended up putting up some good numbers um, for him. So, um, especially for a six-hole hitter, I think he had, uh, what do you had, 20, 20 jacks, 66 driven in. So he ended up pr- putting up some big numbers. He was a key piece in this team for sure now, and also the- pieces um on the 87 89 giants who yeah, both won was. the titles so he yeah. won everywhere he was and i think he came over i want to say from the brewers in 91 i could i think i would say yes um yes. because cito again was trying to address the bat or gillick and cito wanted to address the black hole that was left field now one question i did want to ask you um Derek Bell was a rookie with this team. We'll talk about Derek Bell in a little bit, but do you think Cito had any consideration of moving Carter to left and giving Bell some rope and right? I think so. I think maybe not this year, but next year was probably the key. So, yeah, I think that was the original plan. That was the uh, succession plan after this season. Yeah, for sure. I think he was going to wait one more year. So, game four, a lot of people say was the biggest win in Toronto Blue Jays history to that point. Uh, this is a game where Alomar ties it up off Eckersley. Jack Morris was not good again. Um, like we talked about with Dave Steen last week, do you think time and in innings catches up with Jack? I think, yeah. I think um, time and in innings is a good way to put it. Don't forget, he was on the 91 Twins, and yeah. he pitched in the playoffs, and he ended up um, – pitching 10 innings in game seven of that world series in 1991. So you'll have that in the 250 innings he pitched in 92. And yeah, I think just the, and then now he's pitching more in the playoffs. So I think just in that year gap, that calendar year of October of 91 to October of 92, I think he just pitched too many innings. And yeah, I think he was running out of gas. I think that's a good way to put it. So, a lot of people say, and I'm just trying to find the uh, the piece where they wrote about uh, Alomar's home run. Um, but uh, a lot of people said this is the biggest, Alomar's at-bat was the biggest at-bat in Blue Jays history. Now, my question to you, and we're going to talk about it, but this bullpen uh, was very good at, at certain points in time. Morris has a bad start, and I think Wells comes in. And then Timlin has a uh, scoreless, scoreless eighth. How vital is that scoreless eighth? Because if Timlin gives up a run, now he did give up two hits in that inning. Mm-hmm. If he gives up a run, maybe two, that Elmar at bat doesn't matter. Um, why do you think people aren't talking about that Timlin inning of relief prior to that? That's a great point. Yeah, like, um, especially with the way the game was going, like everyone was scoring runs to come into the eighth on the road, and Timlin was a young guy back then, so yeah, coming to the eighth, on the road, shut down the A's for an inning. That was the year. You're absolutely right. That was big to set him up in the ninth. That was definitely people should be talking about that inning. That was pretty impressive. All right, so I found the passage. This passage is from Tom Cheek's uh, book, Road to Glory, as you can see here, Dave. The, uh, the audio people can't see it, but we can. Uh, had the help of uh, Howard Berger, of course. When the next person decides to sit down and chronicle the history of the Toronto Blue Jays, be it 50 or 100 years from now, this is a game he'll he'll, or she'll or she will look back on as being the most significant in club's first generation. On a sunny, warm afternoon in the Oakland Coliseum, the Blue Jays finally spun the irrefutable magic of a championship baseball team. And Roberto Alomar will forever be remembered as the man who delivered them from promise to fulfillment. Leading the Blue Jays 6-1 after seven innings, it only seemed a matter of time before Oakland put the capper on a lobsided victory to tie the ALCS at two games apiece. 
Jack Morris had fallen through badly for the Jays, giving up five earned runs over three and a third innings, while his counterpart, Bob Welch, held Toronto to a pair of runs through the first seven. The A's were in command at home in 47,732 at the Coliseum were in a mood to celebrate. What happened afterwards altered the history of the Blue Jays franchise. The Jays counted three runs in the eighth inning to make the score respectable 6-4. to four. And Even though Dennis Eckersley gave up two hits, accounting for two runs, he struck it out Sprague to end the threat. While the tying runs were on second and third. In his enthusiasm, Eckersley spun off the mound, glared into the Blue Jays' dugout, and pumped his fist in triumph. A bit of theatrics the Blue Jays players took explicit note of. Mike Timlin held Oakland off the score sheet in the bottom of the eighth and actually came out to finish things up. The A's were in an incredible 81-1 in their previous 82 attempts at holding the ninth inning lead. But Devon White raised a few eyebrows by leading off with a single and scampering all the way to third when Ricky Henderson overran the ball in left field. Alomar then walked to the plate looking for a sack fly that would bring in the Blue Jays within a run. Instead, he came through with the biggest hit in Toronto Blue Jays history, launching a 2-2 accuracy pitch in the right field bleachers to tie the ball game. Almar threw his hands up in the air and let out a whoop as soon as the ball left his bat. There was no doubt in his mind where it was headed, but the euphoria of that moment disappeared when Oakland threatened to win the game anyway. In the bottom of the ninth, Dwayne Ward gave up a leadoff single to, who else, Harold Baines. Eric Fox came in to pinch run and stole second. He then moved to third on a textbook sacrifice bump by Mark McGuire. Catcher Terry Steinbach came to the plate, needing only a fairly deep, wide ball to send the fans at the college stadium home happy. Instead, he poked a ward fastball on the ground directly at Alomar, showing the impatience of a first-year player. The rookie Fox decided to try and score on the play, but Robbie's throw was perfect, and Borders tagged him out for the biggest out to that point in Blue Jays history. The game went down the 11th inning. It was close to 8 o'clock back in Toronto. Kelly Downs was on the mound for the A's when he issued a leadoff walk to Derek Bell. Candy Maldonado came up and blooped a single to right, advancing Bell to third. McGuire then speared Kelly Gruber's liner, headed for right, and there were two men out. But Pat Borders came through with a fly ball to left, and it was deep enough to score Bell with a go-ahead run. And amazingly, the Blue Jays rebounded from a 6-1 deficit and grabbed a 7-6 lead. Tom Hankey came on the bottom of the inning and gave up a one-out single to Ruben Sierra. But uh, Fox and McGuire each applied out to center, and the Blue Jays had their biggest victory ever. So there is that. Um, what do you remember about the Almar bat against Eckersley? Yeah, I was a little young then, so I don't remember it that well. I remember the reaction, though. And when he hit it in the hands, um, when he threw up his hands, it was, uh, it was a great, uh, great moment for, uh, for Jay's history. And that, uh, that was a big win because, uh, you know, A's win, it's 2-2, right? So the, to be up 3-1 on the A's, that was, that was definitely a big win. I, I would agree, biggest win of the, the Jays so far in Jay's history. Stewart wins game five. Again, he goes the distance. If Gillick didn't take note of Stewart after the no-hitter in 1990, you'd have to think that Dave Stewart would have his attention now, don't you think? Yeah, I think um, Dave Stewart was uh, – he, he was a free free agent at the end of the year, so he, he was playing for a payday too. That was uh, for sure, playing for a contract. So, yeah, definitely uh, it's hard to – I was it put them at six and zero, so it's hard to six and zero and ALCS play hard to not get people's attention. That's pretty impressive. Game six, the Blue Jays would clinch their first World Series berth. Candy Maldonado makes the final out. How sweet was it for the Jays to clinch it at home? Yeah, it was a pretty good moment. All the Canadian flags, and uh, especially with Guzman on the hill, pitched amazing and. Uh, Joe Carter, who was uh, quiet in the series, I think it was bad in 190 at that point, had the had the two run homer in the first. So uh, yeah, another there was another big error by Ricky Henderson um, in the first to set up the Carter homer. So it was it was a great uh, it was a great moment for sure. Meanwhile, in the National League, we had ourselves a playoff rematch. The Pittsburgh Pirates faced the Atlanta Braves for the second year row in the NLCS. However, let's talk about 25 cases of champagne. This, uh, this story is courtesy of Jason Foster from the Sporting News. The Braves were up 3-1 in the NLCS. The clubhouse attendant, Mike Hill, said that these cases stood in the Braves locker room for games 5 and 6. 
And then the champagne moves into the lobby for game seven because you didn't know where it needed to go. It's game seven. The Pirates took a 2-0 lead. The Braves loaded the bases in the sixth but failed to score. That's when Mike rolls the champagne into the Pirates' clubhouse. They start putting out the plastic and everything. The Pirates have a 2-0 lead into the ninth, but in the bottom of the ninth, Francisco Cabrera singles and Barry Bonds couldn't throw out Sid Bream. Uh, Hill then sprints into the Braves' dugout to uh, get the celebration stuff up. Kind of an unreal story, and we seem to forget the logistics of what the clubhouse attendants and these people have to do to, for these celebrations, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I I don't like that uh, getting the champagne out before the uh, the final outs recorded, right? But I guess you have to do it for timing-wise because it yeah. takes a while. But uh, I remember they did that for the Giants in 02 when they played the Angels when they were about – when I think they were up five one with four outs to go, and they had all the uh, they had it all papered down, all the uniforms to protect the clothes and all the champ. So I don't like that, but I guess you know what you have to do it because it takes a while. So yeah, yeah that's the, an amazing story. I think you got like twenty or twenty five minutes, and then they all come down to the dugout, right? Like, oh God, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I guess you have to do it, but jinx you, jinx you. Time, time is of the essence. Uh, so the Pirates make three uh, straight NLCS appearances. Are you surprised that they didn't hang around uh, the playoff hunt in 1995 and then on? Uh, nah, not really. Like, they lost Bonds after that and Drabeck. Um, Expos, good Expos team kept getting better. Um, Phillies kept getting better. So teams were catching up to them. Um, they, I mean, they had good teams in those 90s years. Also had Bonilla for the first, Bobby Bonilla the first two years. But uh, it was also a product of there wasn't too many strong teams in that um, NL East. So a lot of, a couple of those years, you know, they won by default, so to speak. They, they had good teams, don't get me wrong. But, you know, there just wasn't a, that dominant team to challenge them. So that was another issue. So, yeah, once the other teams caught up and Pittsburgh couldn't spend the money to sign their free agents, then they went on that, what was it, 22-year 20, drought where they didn't have a 500 record? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jimmy Leland would get his World Series in 97 with the Marlins. The Braves win the NLCS in seven games. They return to the World Series to face the Toronto Blue Jays after losing seven to the Minnesota Twins in 1991, losing in seven. So the Blue Jays and the Braves are the contestants in the 1992 World Series. It is Cito Gaston versus Bobby Cox, the students, and the teacher. Cox was the manager of the Jays in the early 1980s when he brought Gaston over as the hitting coach. Gaston then took over for Jimmy Williams midseason in 1989. And in his third full big league season, he has his team in the World Series. Do you think Bobby knew that he'd eventually face Cito in a World Series down the line when he left Toronto? I, I think he figured Cito would get a manager's job. I, I, I think Cito had a pretty good reputation with all the players. I think he probably, I don't know if he figured he'd make a World Series in Atlanta. Atlanta Braves didn't have a great team history when Bobby Cox first, uh, you know, went back and before the 90, uh, was in 1990 season or after the 85 season when yeah, he started. Yeah, they went back in 86. Yeah, he went back in 86 as GM. So they didn't have, um, that great of a team history, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think he knew he'd get a manager's job for sure. Who did Vegas have to win this? I think they gave the edge to the Jays, um, just going by position by position. Um, another big issue, which we'll talk about again, um, was uh, the Braves lost their catcher, Greg Olson, who I think who made the, uh, I think he made the all-star team in 90 and 91. And so that was a big loss, especially to um, Steve Avery, who really depended on him to call his games because he was a younger guy. So I think, and um, a couple of the Braves had kind of down years from their 91 years. Justice and Gant didn't have the greatest of years. Um, Just took a step back from 91. Same with Terry Pendleton, who took a bit of a step back. They had good years, but they took a bit of a step back from their 91 seasons. So I I, I think the Jays were definitely favored. Not by much, but I think the Jays were definitely favored. Game one had a battle of 220 game winners. 
took place at Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta with over 51,732 in attendance. October 17, 1992 was the first time that a Canadian team was in the World Series. And as mentioned, it was the first time two 20-game winners with Tom Glavin and Jack Morris started a World Series game. Glavin or Smoltz? Who would you run out there? It's tempting because uh, Glavin had a rough uh, NLCS. Uh, he went 0-2 with the ERA of 12. So he had a rough um, NLCS, but you got to go with the horses that got you there in the end. He's a 20-game winner, Cy Young Award winner. I'd go with Glavin for sure because, uh, you know, he's got a bounce back. You're not going to win without Glavin, so get him out there as soon as possible. And he's he... Knowing Tom Glavin, he's going to want the ball. And he's going to wonder, if you bypass him, he's going to wonder, I just won you 20 games and you're going to bypass me for one bad, couple bad starts? I don't yeah. think so. So he's going to want the ball. So you pretty much, you give it to Glavin. CEO starts Winfield in the outfield and puts Carter at first. The only pinch good appearance this game comes from Pat Tabler. Why didn't Cito trust Olerud against lefties? Howard was a little younger um, back then. He, he wasn't the hitter he'd become the next year. So um, I think that was an issue. Um, it's a good matchup for Carter. Glavin's more of an off-speed guy, and Carter's more of an off-speed hitter. So it's a good matchup for Carter. Carter always feasted on the lefty. So you want to keep Carter in there. And, you know, it was probably the right decision going forward. The Blue Jays had a 1-0 lead going into the sixth on a Joe Carter home run. Damon Berryhill, as you mentioned, was a backup catcher, and he parks a fork ball into the seats off Jack Morris to give the Braves a 3-1 lead, which is all they needed. What do you remember about Carter and Berryhill's home runs? Well, Carter was a big one because it was the first uh, run by a Canadian team in the World Series. First run, first home run, first RBI, of course, so of a Canadian team, so that was pretty special. Um, yeah, the Damon Berryhill one, he was, he had struck out Berryhill twice, um, on fork balls. So what, uh, Damon was just trying to do was keep the, try and keep the ball up in the zone as much as you can try and guess, um, try and get the fastball as opposed to the fork ball. And he got it and, uh, yeah, he banged her out there. That was a no doubter. And, uh, yeah, that's all they needed. How did this home run benefit Berryhill's career? Um, I think like for the next year, I think he caught, um, most, uh, he was near the number one catcher. So, um, yeah, it benefited him the next year. I think, I think that's what, um, they picked up his option, so to speak. They kept him around. So I think it benefited him for the next year. He didn't play much longer after, but he had a pretty good career. I mean, he was a solid backup journeyman. I think he was on the 89 Cubs that won a division title too. So he had a pretty good career, no doubt. I remember him playing with Boston not too long yeah, after played that with Boston, too. I think 94, 95, he played with Boston yeah. too. After. Got a lot of the starts there. 89, I guess he would have been with Maddox, right? Yeah, he was with Maddox. Uh, they, they were basically, him and Olsen were placeholder holders for a up-and-coming Puerto Rican named Javi Lopez. Yeah, Javi Lopez, yes. He was was a September call-up in 92-93. And then he would be Tom Glavin's personal catcher not too long after that going forward. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Glavin, he would finish the game only giving up four hits. Todd Stoudemire and David Wells would finish the game for the Jays. What made Glavin so hard to hit, in your opinion? Oh, he just, he's a Cy Young Award winner, right? He knows how to pitch. Um, the word was Jerry Crawford, the home plate um, umpire was, strike zone was a little, little lenient for the corners, but hey, you know what? If he's consistent for both sides, you got to deal with it. Talk about David Wells last week and how good he was. What do you think would have happened if the Jays kept him in the rotation and did not get David Cohen at the deadline? That's a good question. Um, that'd be a big bullpen. That'd be a big missing on the bullpen. You kind of needed, even though he hated it, you kind of needed David Wells in the bullpen for this uh, this run for sure. So, I I think it would have hurt him pretty. It would have hurt him for sure. Game two, also in Atlanta, and still at Fulton County Stadium. Fulton County Stadium had grass, by the way. A lot of those big round yeah. stadiums with six levels. Uh, like Bush, Three Rivers, and uh, Veterans. Veterans. 
at AstroTurf. Um, David Cohn, John Smoltz. Surprise Cohn gets the nod uh, in a National League park over Jimmy Key for game two. Uh, no, not really. I mean, they pretty much go on with the rotation. Uh, David Cohn, a um, little more experience as a hitter, which is going to come into play this game. Very true. The U.S. Marine Color Guard also carries the Canadian flag upside down in Atlanta. President George Bush, uh, George Herbert Bush, would apologize for this after. How pissed were Canadians about us? Yeah, they were. T- yeah, we were ticked off at the start. There was a lot of phone calls coming in at uh, at the start and pouring into media centers. And to make matters worse, it came right after um, Tom Cochran. The life is a highway guy uh, just did the Canadian national anthem and didn't do the greatest job, to be honest with you. So to me, that's just adding to matters. But, you know, it's one of those things you're mad for a couple minutes. And uh, I think uh, all was forgiven. The Marines would request to do it again in game three in Toronto with the RS- RCMP holding the U.S. flag. It all worked out. But that's pretty gutsy to walk into Toronto uh, and do that. I, I got to give them credit for that. Yeah, for sure. It's it was just uh it's kind of a crazy thing that happened. I don't know. It's the World Series. You can't script October. Yeah, well said. Heard that somewhere before. Uh <laughs> the Blue Jays keep Winfield in the lineup in right uh for game two. They move Carter to left and Johnny O is back at first. Winfield made it known that at age 40 he could still get around. What do you remember about Dave Winfield playing in the outfield in 1992? Well, he did make a good catch in game six. Um, and don't forget, Dave Winfield's uh, probably one of the best athletes really ever. He was drafted by four different leagues. Wow. Yeah, he was different, drafted by the two basketball leagues, NBA and ABA at the time. Um, the Vikings drafted him, even though he never played college football. And then he was drafted, I think, by San Diego in baseball. So He's like yeah, a modern-day Lionel Conacher. Yeah, he he was an amazing athlete, and even even though he was forty, um, I wouldn't be worried about Dave Winfield in the outfield. He definitely couldn't play it all six games, but if you're going to do the two in uh, Atlanta and then the other two in Atlanta, I th- I I wouldn't have been concerned at all. Cohen doesn't have a good start. He walks five, gives up four runs. One of them was unearned. Manny Lee and Pat Borders had errors in this game. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened with Coney on this night? Yeah, just one of those nights you can't find the zone, you know. Um, yeah, it just it he just didn't have his best stuff. He toughed it out though, and uh, you know the he had trouble holding runners on on, and he's always he always had troubles with that. So I think they stole six bases that game, so that didn't help at all um, for the runs. So just a combo of both things, and yeah, it just wasn't his night. David Wells, Mr. Everyday, came in and threw a scoreless inning in two-thirds, followed by Todd Stottlemyre and Dwayne Ward, both throwing scoreless innings. We talked about Wells already and Stottlemyre we talked about last week, but how amped up did you think Todd was for the World Series? Oh, God, yeah, he wanted the ball. Knowing Todd Stottlemyre and how intense he was, uh, he definitely would have wanted the ball. And, yeah, the bullpen saved the day that game to not allow any runs. Like you're down one nothing, so you don't want to go down two nothing. Like that definitely decreases your chances of winning the series. So this was a big moment for the bullpen, and they did an amazing job. Yeah, we're going to talk to the bullpen throughout this, but that you're absolutely right on that. Uh, we go to the ninth. The Braves are up four three. Cone, Winfield, and Borders drove, drove, drove in runs for the Jays. So there's Cone's experience as a hitter you were talking about. The pitcher spot was due up with Jeff Reardon on the mound. Cito gave Ed Sprague a heads up that he'd be pinch hitting. Sprague went out and uh, got some advice from Blue Jays legend Ransom Olenix to watch for the high fastball. With Derek Bell on base, Sprague parks it over the wall in left center. Bell's walk was said to be by some a very close strike three call. Were they right on that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, like, um, who was, I think it was Mike Riley was the umpire. He missed a few calls, and uh, that one might have been one of them, but... Uh, you know, you take your breaks when you can get them, and uh, yeah, what can you do? It's baseball. Umpires it is. 
What uh, game was it where Alomar uh, stole home? Was it in this game? Yeah, it was this game. So this was um, maybe it was a kind of a makeup call by Mike Riley. Um, what happened was um, Alomar was early in the game. I think it was second inning, first or second inning. Alomar was on third base, um, and he was taking big leads. Definitely was anxious to score on anything in the dirt. And Smoltzy uh, threw a pitch, you know, a 55-footer, one of those 55-footers pitchers throw. And, uh, you know, the only thing Barry Hill could do was sell out and, you know, hope it hits off his body, absorb it enough. And uh, that's what he did. It only bounded about 30 feet away, the ball. And Barry Hill pounced on it. And then Alomar ran, even though it was only 30 feet. Kind of surprised Smoltz, who was a little late getting over there. Barry Hill pounced on the ball, threw it to Smoltz, did a nice feed. And Smoltz did a great job blocking the plate. He was just a little late because he was surprised that Alomar would run because the ball didn't bounce all that far away. And, uh, yeah, Alomar was definitely safe, and everyone thought he was safe except Mike Riley, the home plate umpire, who called him out. So, you know what? Maybe it was a makeup call for that. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. How valuable were guys like Rance Molnix to this club? Yeah, that was a good call by Rance because that's what he hit out, you know. Uh, first pitch, I think Reardon was just trying to get a 0-1 count. First pitch, get the fastball over and start with an 0-1 count. And, yeah, good call. Another um, important fact was I think Sprague had two at-bats off Eckersley, and he got one hit. So I think that experience in the uh, ALCS – uh, those couple of bats off Eckersley uh, helped out a lot too. Did this at bat change the momentum for the World Series in your opinion? Yeah, this was a key. I I I don't know. People are gonna not uh, gonna get some hate mail on this one, but I think this is bigger than Alomar's. If you think I about love it. it, I love it. it. As big as Alomar's. Don't forget Jeff Reardon. He you're not talking about a Triple A pitcher here. What are talking best. about? You're talking about the at the time he was the career saves leader. Former Expo, of course, former Montreal Expo. So, uh, yeah, I think Jays lose this game. They're down 2-0 in the World Series, and it'd be tough to come back. Tom Hankey had a nervous night, but he got the save. Um, Hankey sure liked to have fun when the game was close, didn't he? Yeah, it was. I think he hit Lonnie Smith and walked Sanders. And, yeah, it was first and second, and Terry Pendleton up, who led the – NL and hits with runners on scoring position M- MVP last year. So they were lucky, but they got, uh, they got this one and th- this was a key win. Game three was in Toronto, which of course would be the first world series game played outside of the United States. How about Steve Avery getting the start for the Braves? Yeah. Like I said, he was one of the young guys that kind of had a down year like justice and Gant. Um, he was 18 and eight and 91. And I think he was something like 13 and 13 or something this year um he missed his catcher greg olson who like i said called the games for him so you know he definitely deserved the start no doubt but uh you know it's uh definitely uh definitely wasn't the greatest year for him juan guzman gets a start for the jays in this one guzman was one of the best blue jays pitchers in 1991 and if you remember back to our 1991 deep dive Seattle started Tom Candiotti over Guzman in a vital playoff game, and it did not work out for the Jays. Where does Guzman rank on your list of best Blue Jays playoff pitchers? Best Blue Jays playoff? I I think he's got to be at the top Um, just because of all the big wins he had, which we'll get into uh, on our deep dive in 93. And he did pitch good in 91. So 91, 92, 93, I think that puts him near the top. I can't think of anyone else. They only made the World Series twice, and he was there both times. So Yeah, I mean, he could have could have made it three times too, right? Yeah. I mean, he was he was fantastic when he came up in 91. I'm with you. He's up there for sure. Yeah. Um, very, very good. We see one of the craziest fourth innings in uh, baseball history. Terry Pendleton and primetime Deion Sanders are on base. David Justice hammers one to center field, and Devon White makes the greatest catch in Blue Jays history. I don't care what anyone says. There's no one that's duplicated that catch since. Pendleton passes Sanders on the base pass and is ruled out. Alomar took White's throw and threw it to uh, John Olerud at first to make sure he got a double play because I think Pendleton was on first. 
Yep. Olerud wisely threw it to third, where Kelly Gruber would run Sanders back. He takes a swipe at his uh, feet, his ankles. Uh, looks like to us he hit him, but Dion again was ruled safe. What do you remember about this sequence of events? I just re- the catch was uh, I 100% agree with you. The catch best in Blue Jays history, especially since the game ended so close. Like that ball hits off the wall, it's over. Yeah, it, it, keep in mind there were none out. Yeah. So that ball hits off the wall. Even if only one scores, it's second and third, nobody out. Lonnie Smith up. So, you know, that was just just such a huge catch. I remember I remember the Gruber dive. He tore his rotator cuff on this play, beginning right. of the end of Gruber. And I remember Bob Davison missing the call. Another call goes against the Jays. So, you know, those are the breaks you got to – Credit to the Jays for, you know, not letting it affect them and going out to what they needed to do, doing what they needed to do. Yeah, it was that was nuts. And yeah, Gruber thought they got five outs uh, on this play. I'd have to go back and look at the article again. But yeah. uh, that was one of the craziest things. I know the 2015 seventh inning in the uh, ALCS was nuts, but uh, this is right up there. Uh, no doubt about it. Guzman and Avery were both outstanding in this game. And especially, I mean, Big big props to Avery for not having his catcher because he picked fantastic Guzman as well. Joe mm-hmm. Carter hits his third tater. Kelly Gruber, again, we talked about his tough playoff. Um, two hits in the playoffs. He battles Avery for seven pitches and turns on uh, a pitch to tie the game. And for him, uh, blowing out his rotator cuff to hit a home run, even mm-hmm. though he's a dick, I mean, props to him for that. He points to Anne Marie and his mom while rounding the bases. There's that. Do you think Cito ever considered starting Sprague over Gruber in this series? Yeah, it has to be a consideration, right? I think he might have been sticking with Gruber because of defense, but it definitely had to be a consideration. And, uh, you know, that home run, um, as huge as it was, it ended in 0 for 23 slump that Gruber was in. So, yeah, it had to have been pressing on his mind, at least for – if he didn't get a hit and he hits this game, at least for game four, you would have to consider it. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, I mean, props to him for hanging in there for the next uh, two, two to three games. Um, yeah. They go to the ninth. Alomar gets a single off Avery. He then steals second. Mark Wallers comes in. He intentionally walks Carter. Dave Winfield sacrifices the runners over. How important was this sacrifice from Winfield? And do you think we'd see something like that in 2021? Uh, no, don't don't ask Wilbur that, eh? You, uh, no, I, I don't think you see some guys can't do that. No, anymore. That is guys a lost art. That That's what I, I'm saying about uh, Winfield just being that great athlete. You know, if he was actually actually um, Tim McCarver who was doing the game with Sean McDonough for I think CBS. Yeah, yeah, CBS. Um, he actually mentioned that he remembered. Um, Dave Winfield, San Diego days, and he's actually a good bunter. So Dave Winfield was wasn't out of his comfort zone, and it was a pretty good bunt. It was a little hard, but you know, it, it got the job done. Yeah, the turf probably would have had something to do with that too. Yeah, the ball's yeah, gonna bounce sure. a little bit quicker, right? Yeah. With Carter at second and Almar at third, Bobby Cox. I love this. This is one of the best chess matches in history yeah. between two managers. Bobby Cox brings in lefty Mike Stanton to face Johnny O. Cito counters with Ed Sprague, and of course, they're going to intentionally walk Sprague because they don't want him to put a ball into the seats. Cox then brings Reardon in, and Cito has Maldonado at the plate, and he Maldonado puts one over over to Otis Nixon's head, and the Blue Jays walk it off. How crazy was this chess match between Cito and Bobby? It's like he knew what Bobby was thinking, one step ahead of him. Yeah, sort of, yeah. It, you know what? Cito did a great job. And um, at the end of the day, Bobby Cox actually did get the matchup he kind of wanted. He wanted uh, Maldonado against Reardon. Maldonado was two for 13 lifetime against Reardon. So I think they wanted that matchup. But um, hey, in the end, Candy uh, got it done and it was a big win. Great work by the bullpen again. Wardo has another shutout inning. 52,000 fans attended game four. thousand of them must have been sitting on the roof or something. Yeah. Uh, how about Glavin and Jimmy Key? 
I love good pitching matchups. It's like watching yeah. two really good heavyweight fighters going 12 rounds. And this one sure delivered. What do you remember about it? Yeah, I just remember this was Jimmy Key's best moment as a J. You know, nine-year career. Um, never forget him tipping his hat when he went when he left in uh, the eighth inning. It was it was just an amazing game. Um, big thing with Jimmy Key is like um, Atlanta was running wild all series, and Jimmy Key had a great as a left-hander had a great pickoff move. So him being able to keep the runners close was key and. Uh, yeah, it was just an amazing pitching matchup, and yeah, it was a great moment and great moment for him. Glavin goes the distance for the Braves. He takes the loss, giving up two runs. When is the last time you recall a pitcher in the World Series having back-to-back complete games? I don't know. I, I can't think of any. I'd have to research that one, but uh, yeah, I mean, two soft tossing lefties getting it done, eh? It's, it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and as you alluded to, Key went seven and two-thirds. Wardo and Hankey close it out. Borders and White get the RBIs. And the Jays have a 3-1 lead going into game five. Morris versus Smoltz in Toronto. I wonder if the champagne was in the clubhouse. I think you got, or you at least got to bring it close to it. Yeah, it's true. Morris gets rocked through four and two-thirds. Was this the end for Jack Morris? I think it was this we'll get into it uh, on our deep dive in 93, but this was pretty well, the swan song. Um, his comment after the game was Atlanta's in trouble because I don't pitch again in the series. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I read so, that yeah, last night was, as well. It was, it was a, just a side note. It was a good moment for Lonnie Smith who got the big grand slam um, off Morris in the fifth. Uh, Lonnie Smith uh, was kind of the goat in 91 because he was on first base when um, I, for, I think it was Gant hit a double and he could have scored um, from first on the double, but he didn't. He held up at third because he lost the ball. And he w- and it ended up that the Braves didn't score that inning and they lost one nothing in game seven of 91. So it was always kind of the goat um, for that loss in 91. And uh, it was a good moment for him when he got that grand slam. So Was this the was- moment where um- – Whoever was in front of him, they intentionally walk him to face Lonnie Smith. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Justice had hit a home run already in the game to make it 3 2. And he was up again with the runners second and third. And they intentionally walked Justice to get to Lonnie Smith. So, yeah, that was another. It was a good move on the Jays' part, but it's kind of insulting on Lonnie Lonnie Smith's part because they think he's an easy out. I remember in the video, Lonnie Smith was pissed about it, right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely livid. Smoltz goes six, and Stanton goes uh, three innings to get the save. Sprague pinch hit for Hollywood again to face Stanton, but the bullpen doesn't. You know the Blue Jays bullpen does not give up a run again. How crazy was this run for the Jays bullpen, especially in the World Series? It was pretty amazing. Like they did, it was just unheard of. It's kind of like baseball now, eh? You got that super bullpen. You know, Jays were the 92 Jays, they were ahead of their time. Like, that's why I don't think you can use Wells as in the rotation. He's just too va- valuable as a, as a bullpen guy, even though he hates it. He's just too valuable to have out of that bullpen. I remember reading that he was a terrible spot starter, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I guess because it gets him out of rhythm. I yeah. think you have to use him one or the other. Yeah. I, I don't think many guys can do it anyway, Brent. No, I agree. I, I, I mean, Sam Gaviglia would be a great example, right? Yeah. It, it, that's uh, the most recent one I can think of. Let's get to game six. Kind of a big game. Yeah. At Fulton County Stadium, Cone versus Avery. Like 99% of the other games, this one was a close one. Avery gives up two runs in four innings. Cox goes to the bullpen early. Considering how good the starters were, were you surprised by this? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little early. I would have gave I would have gave him another inning at least. Um, I think the bullpen was pretty well rested, so I think he felt good about going to the bullpen early. Um, yeah, it's tough to say. Like Maldonado hit a home run off him, so in the fourth, so I think he was a little worried that 
you know, he, I guess he just wanted to give his bullpen a clean inning too. So I think that was an issue, but yeah, he didn't pitch that bad Avery, but yeah, that's the way he wanted to play it. Cohen on the other side gives the Jays six quality innings, giving up one run. How clutch was this for the Jays? Oh, pretty clutch. You know, um, the, uh, you could sense the after game five that maybe the Braves lineup was starting to, you know, break out. You know, they're three, four, and five hitters, Pendleton, Justice, and if it's a National League Park, Sid Bream, they were maybe going to start to break out. So to shut them down again, that was big. That was very big. And, uh, yeah, definitely saved the series. Stahlmeyer, David Wells, and Dwayne Ward set up Tom Hankey to close it out in the ninth. Take us through the sequence that is the bottom of the ninth for the Braves. Okay, it's a it's a it's a long one. Well, they get I think it was two runners on and two out. Onus Nixon at the plate. He hits a single between third and short, and Maldonado comes up throwing. And his throws over everything. I mean, it wasn't even in the same zip code as home plate. And, uh, yeah, the runners score. And, uh, well, yeah, so, uh, sorry, uh, moving to this. uh, Blouser led off with a single, Jeff Blouser. Um, Barry Hill sacrificed him to second. Um, Lonnie Smith, who pinched hit, uh, drew a walk. Um, Oh, and then San, Fr- San Francisco Cabrera, who was the star of the Game 7 of the NLCS with the big hit, he hit one that looked like it was going over Candy Maldonado. It, it, rising, rising, rising. And Candy jumped up at the last second to snare it. Unreal. Yeah, and then that's when Nixon singled to left and scored Blouser, and then that's what tied it up 2-2 two, two, with two, two man out. Were you shocked that they tied it up in the ninth? This would be the first run this bullpen gives up. In a long time. I Yeah, I was pretty shocked. Like, this bullpen was invincible. So, it was bound to happen sometime. So, yeah, I was still pretty shocked. In the top of the 11th, the Blue Jays were facing lefty Charlie LeBrant. LeBrant was in there to ensure Johnny O doesn't pinch hits. Uh, Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I think it was that. And... uh, Lee Brandt, he he had some pretty good success in the postseason, so he was a starter by trade. So I think Bobby Cox was okay with him being uh, being in there. LeBrant gets Jimmy Key to fly out. He hits Devon White, and Alomar hits a line drive single to center field. Carter flies out to center. He moves White to third and Alomar to second. Then Dave Winfield comes to the plate. Where is Jeff Reardon here, and why do you think Bobby sticks with LeBrant? I have no idea. This was Jeff Reardon was ready in the bullpen, and he didn't use him. I think maybe it was because of the last two outings in Game right. Two and Game Three uh, Reardon had. But uh, like this guy's a career saves leader. How do you not so, go with him? I mean, if he had two bad outings, chances are he's due for a good one. Would you? Would you think so? Yeah, I don't know. They did, maybe Lebrand had good. I didn't check. Maybe Lebrand had good numbers against Winfield, but uh, he kept him in. And like I said, the rest is history. You're absolutely right because Winfield hits a double down the left field line, scoring White and Alomar, and the Blue Jays lead four to two. Why do you think people don't bring this up, this double, uh, when it comes to big hits in Blue Jays history? Um, maybe this big hit we're going to discuss in 93 and the 93 dip, deep dive might uh, have a have a reason, but yeah, this is, was a big hit and, um, it, it kind of erased the ghosts of, uh, world series pass for Dave Winfield. His only other appearance I think was 81 against the Dodgers and he hit something like, Oh, 85 against them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this erased uh, kind of the go, and he hadn't had a great series up until this point. I think he only had one RBI. So, um, and in fairness, no one was really hitting. So, you know, so this kind of erased the ghosts of World Series pass for him. And uh, yeah, it was a great moment. Absolutely, uh, absolutely was. Kerry Howarth called the game on the radio in the top of the eleventh. 
Interesting note that Tom Keith and Jerry Howard through many years called the World Series for Canadian uh, radio networks. Uh, they didn't simulcast the CBS and, or ESPN like they do today. Gary was supposed to call the bat bottom of the 11th because they rotated innings after the ninth, uh, but made a split-second decision to let Tom take them the rest of the way to close it out. Keek was the day one announcer, and Gary thought it was the right thing to do. Interestingly enough, they weren't the best of buddies off the air. I mean, they had a respect, they had a really good relationship, but they both lived separate lives. What were your thoughts on this move by Gary? I just thought, yeah, very classy, very classy, unselfish move. Um yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. Like you said, Tom Cheek had been there since day one. You, it would be important for him to call, um, to call the final inning of the first World Series and uh, for a Canadian team. I just thought it was a very classy move by Jerry. So Cheek calls the bottom of the eleventh, and uh, for Gary's trouble, he, he uh, when they go down to celebrate. Gary forgets his press pass and he's not allowed in the clubhouse while they're celebrating. Oh. So that's that sucks, but uh, he did all right. They, they did win it in '93. Yeah. Uh, Key calls above the 11th. Jimmy Key stays in the game to try and close it out. Well, what do you know? Jeff Blauser starts the inning with a single. Then Dave, Damon Berryhill hits a tailor made double play ball to Alfredo Griffin uh, that takes a last minute hop um, off the dirt. Should that hit by Berryhill have been ruled a base hit? Um, no, I think it was a bad hop. I felt bad for Alfredo, but it was an error. It was hit pretty hard, but it was an error. Raphael Belliard bunts to move the runners up to second and third with one out. Cox sends up Brian Hunter, who is a very effective pinch hitter. He's not Francisco Cabrera effective, but still very potent nonetheless. He grounds the ball to Joe Carter, who makes the play unassisted at first. Cena took some shit for not putting in Johnny O defensively in the bottom of the 11th. Thoughts on that? Was that fair for people to criticize Cena on that yeah, one? I think so. I think maybe he was worried that they tie it up, maybe, and then he'd lose Joe Carter's bad, and then you wouldn't have Johnny O for pinch hitting purposes. Right. But yeah, I'm a little surprised he didn't do that. Yeah. This brought up Otis Nixon, who was hitting 363 against lefties. Cena was having none of it. And that was the last time we would see Jimmy Key in a Blue Jays uniform. Is Jimmy Key in your all-time Blue Jays rotation? Yeah, he'd be he'd be top five, top five or top six. Nine years, uh, I think he had an ERA title. Had a, I think he had a couple eighteen win seasons. He he did a did an amazing job for him. Cedar goes to Mike Timlin. And Nixon tries to get a bunt down down the first baseline. Timlin fields it beautifully, gets it over to Carter, and the Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays have won the World Series, as Tom Cheek would so emphatically state. Pat Borders gets the MVP, but, man, that bullpen was on another level, was it not? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I would uh, – it's hard to – I love Borders, but I don't know. They pretty they ran wild on him, and he had that error in game two. I don't know. Tempted to give it to someone in the bullpen, or maybe a couple guys in the bullpen, you know? Yeah, Stoudemire, Wells. Yeah, maybe like know? a Stoudemire, Wells, Ward, yeah. Cher. I mean, a lot of the stolen bases wasn't Border's fault, you know, because it, it takes two, right? Uh-huh. There's only so much you can do when they're stealing, and Deion Sanders is really fast. Super fast. So, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to blame Borders too much for the storm bases, but still, that bullpen, I don't know. That won them the series, I think. So this team gets overhauled uh, just before the World Series parade. Hanky goes, Winfield goes, they offer him a contract. They uh, are a little off on the financials, so they bring in Paul Molitor. David Wells goes to the Tigers because he wants to be a starting pitcher. Uh, Manny Lee is gone. David Cohn is gone. And there was even a chance that Joe Carter uh, would have gone to Kansas City. He was offered more money. Uh, three-year deal, I believe it was. But he stayed with Toronto for a few million dollars less. Besides financials, why do you think Gillick decided to overhaul the club? Yeah, I, I think he just saw some weaknesses that he had to address. Kelly Gruber would be one of them. Um, 
I think when it comes to Candy Maldonado, I think they were thinking like like we said, Derek Bell in that spot. So they didn't really. And Winfield, I mean, you got maybe a little younger replacement, Paul Molitor. Yeah, so I think it was five years younger. Yeah, so I think he just saw some weaknesses that needed to be addressed if they were going to make another run. So I think it came down to that. Um, I think they just got. I think they just didn't want to pay for Hanky. Would be why they lost him. You know, it was he. Hanky was getting a little older, and they didn't want to pay the price tag to to get him. So I think there was just between that weaknesses, guys getting older. He really didn't have a choice. Yeah, and they had uh, Wardo as well. Um, mm-hmm. Tuned essentially told Hanky Ward has the job. That was interesting. Jack yeah. Morris did not deliver in the playoffs. Would you have done the deal with Morris if you could all over again? Yeah, I think so. He, he, he ate him a lot of innings during the regular season. 21, 121 games. You know what? You need the innings like we've discussed before. It's a nine-inning game, 162 games a year. You need innings eaten. That's what he did. He did a great job in the regular season. So, you know. The one pitch to Burial, he would have probably won game one. So, you know, I yep. would have done the deal. Dave Steve finally gets a World Series ring, as is key, as this hanky. What do you think this ring uh, meant to those guys as long-term Toronto Blue Jays? I think it was a good way to cap off the end um, of their careers uh, with Toronto. Um, you know, they, uh, they pitched – so long and so hard that it was it was very fitting very few players get that opportunity to end their careers with a uh, world series so it it was a good way to go out for those guys and uh yeah steve would have been i think he got released or they didn't renew his contract and i think he pitched about 10 games with the white Sox in 93 and then uh his career was basically over till he made a small comeback in i think 98 yeah, one of the uh, one of the best uh, for sure. Same with Key. Key would leave to go to the Yankees in '93 as well. Um, that's it. That's all we got for the '92 World Series. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, next uh, next week, as we talked about, Shai Davidi will be on. We'll discuss the 2013 Toronto Blue Jays, and the week after that, as uh, also we discussed the start of the show, we're going to talk about our five favorites. Uh, managers that manage the Canadian Major League Baseball teams, and uh, we'll do a quick year in review as well. Uh, talk about our favorite deep dives, our favorite guests, and uh, maybe what 2022 will look like for the Cardi Show. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me, Brent. Dave Glassford, I'm Brent Cardi. We'll talk to you next week. Ah!